Good. stand and worship with us. You don't have to, but uh, you're welcome. Um, yeah, we're going to do this song, and uh, it's got emotions to it, and I think you guys know it, so here we go. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me, and show, show, show how your love has set me free, and go, go, go tell the world so they can see you're amazing. 
Shout it out, you're never gonna let me go. Shout it out, you are my God. Shout it out, my Savior has set me free. Not to us, but for your glory. Sing that again, shout it out. And shout it out, you're never gonna let me go. Shout it out. You are my God, shout it out, my Savior has set me free, not to us, but for your glory. Oh, I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me, and show, show, show how your love has set me free, and go, go, go tell the world so they can see, you're amazing. Shout it out, and shout it out, I want the world to see, shout it out, you have changed me, shout it out, my lips will forever sing, not to us, but for your glory. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me, and show, show, show how your love has set me free, and go, go, go tell the world so they can see, you're amazed, I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me, and show, show, show how your love has set me free, and go, go, go tell the world so they can see, I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed to shout your name, I'm not ashamed to shout your name, I'm not ashamed to shout your name, I'm not ashamed. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me and show, show, show how your love has set me free and go, go, go tell the world so they can see. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me and show, show, show how your love has set me free and go, go, go tell the world so they can see you're amazing. You're amazing. You guys look awesome. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. 
Sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay sing that again so teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when i cannot stand i'll fall on you jesus you're my hope and stay lord i need you Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. 
His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. In God alone, salvation comes from Him. He is my rock, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. I am overwhelmed and I. Praise the Lord, my 
sins are held against me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, He's my victor. He's my King. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. My sins aren't held against me. And praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, He's my victor, He's my King. And praise the Lord, oh, praise the Lord. My sins aren't held again. Sing that one more time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, He's my victor. He's my King. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My sins aren't held again. Me, my sins on hell against me. My soul finds rest in God alone. Salvation comes from Him. He is my rock, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Amen. When peace like a river attendeth my when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my Lord Thou hast taught me to say, it is well. Nail to the cross, his nail to the cross. 
cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, and it is well with my soul. Oh, it is well. It is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, and the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul, and it is well with my soul. Oh, it is well. It is well with my soul. Sing that one more time. It is well. It is well with my soul. Oh, it is well. It is well. find somebody you haven't greeted yet and, and, and shake their hands and, and you can hug their neck or whatever. If, if they look like they have COVID, stay five feet. If you don't recognize them, introduce yourself. Don't be afraid to say, how long have you been with us? Nice to meet you. Hi. In and out, Well, you guys sound great this morning. Such a good buzz in the room. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah. Uh, I was ma I'm making an announcement this morning, so I decided to dress up for you guys and wear a t-shirt. You're welcome. 
Now, uh, if you didn't know, we are in full swing of graduation season. We've got 10 graduates that we are going to recognize next Sunday. And so, yeah, I know. Yes, it's going to be awesome for them. Yeah. Uh, so, um, in lieu of that, uh, in the library, we have set up a basket with their picture, and we'd like to invite you to gift these graduating seniors with some life essentials as they begin their next adventure, right? So, you know, jumper cables, uh, you know, that's probably a good one. Laundry detergent, you know, that's good. So anything that you can think of that may help them in their next adventure, uh, please gift them with that, all right? Thanks a bunch. I'm done. You do something different every time. I know. <laughs> all right, so a couple things I, I want to say right off the top. Look, some of you are hurting financially, and I get that. You do not feel, need to feel the need to give money. Instead, put a note. You can do that. Give a, give a piece of wisdom. And you're right. Did you just amen me? Would you get off the stage, please? For those of you visiting or watching, that's our youth pastor, and he is completely a, an attention hog. I mean, he plays, he plays the drums, he sings. Would you go, go do something with students? Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Lock that door over there. There he's back. <laughs> okay, just a note for you watching online. This is why you need to be in this room. Uh, but just, just leave a note, put a, put a kind of verse. And yes, well, why would they care? You know what? They're going to go home. They're going to look at that stuff. Yes, the first thing they're looking for is cash, okay? We all know that, like your grandkids. But then the note means a lot. Just give a piece of wisdom or a verse that has carried you through life or a, a counsel. So please, please do that. Second of all, uh, and when, when you're in the room and you're able to be here, you know, we ask you to stand. If you can't physically stand, don't feel bad. It's okay. Everybody's going to stare at you, but it's not a big deal. I'm teasing. Don't feel obliged to do that. We're just glad you're here. And, and when we read Scripture in the Old Testament, they would stand, and so that's why we do that. But if you can't, please don't feel bad. We're just so glad you're here, you guys, worshiping with us. And as the summer season starts, uh, you know, vacation season and all that excitement, we want to remind you that uh, we're online, and so you can actually stick with our study as you're traveling, as you're driving. You know, if you have cell service, uh, download the app. You know, we're doing a lot online right now digitally, and uh, so please take advantage of that. If you're visiting with us and, uh, and you would like to ask some questions, or we would love to have record that you came. We don't make you do that. Uh, if you want more information on the church, there is a table out there, uh, a Carpenter's Way table, and uh, my Karen and my dad are on vacation. My niece graduated from Moody Bible Institute yesterday, so they're traveling right now, listening online, uh, right? You can text me. I, I, but, but they're listening online. But in, in any case, my Anna, who's my daughter, is going to be there and at the table. So if you have any questions, or we just want to meet you and make you feel at home and tell you we love you and we're glad you're here. And and we have groups, Bible studies, and different groups we'd love for you to be a part of. Uh, can, we just, can we just take the, the, the energy of that song we just sang, It Is Well With My Soul, and take a moment and thank God for that. Yes. Lord Jesus, no matter what's going on around us in this world, it is well with our souls because of what you did on the cross and that we have accepted your offer to forgive our sin. We have been adopted by the King of Kings, the ultimate Father, and many of us who, don't, who may not know what it's like to be unconditionally loved by our Father, 
We can experience that as we get to know you more and more. And so we sing, our hearts sing it as well with our soul. Uh, we can sing the song that Chad wrote. I, why, why do you love us so much? I can't understand it. We can be amazed by it and then overwhelmed by its truth. And so, Father, I pray that as we open your word this morning, as we continue to dive into 2 Peter, that you would speak to us as individuals. There is, uh, there, there's, there's a different need, a different angst in every heart here, Father. Uh, and you need to speak to them individually, independently. And if someone doesn't know you, may today be the day of their salvation. And so, thank you that it is well with our soul. And now, Father, teach us a little bit more about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, as we were singing that song, I was just thinking, how precious must we be to God? I mean, I know we, I, you know John 3.16, but it's almost such an old verse and such a traditional verse that we forget that God so loved us that He sent His only begotten Son so that we could become the sons and daughters of God. I mean, how much love is there that while we were yet sinners, while we were still didn't even know about God. And I know a lot of you were saved at five and six and seven, and that's great. Can I just say that's what, that's what we're supposed to do as parents, is disciple our children. My son and I were talking yesterday, and he was telling me that he's teaching uh, Samuel, who's two years old, about the substitutionary uh, atonement of God. <laughs> he's doing a great job. Zach's going to learn a lot more at 55 than he does right now at 23, but Hannah was apparently listening, going, what are you doing? And he's so proud of himself. So would you, when, when you walk by Zach, pat him on the shoulder, substitutionary atonement, and then ask him what the heck he's talking about, because he would love to share that with you. Just about salvation. And you know, my prayer for Sam is that as soon as he realizes that he's a sinner, that he comes to accept Jesus Christ's offer to forgive his sin. There, there's no such thing as too early. And, and my, I, my longing is that as he's involved in our discipleship ministries and as Hannah and Zach and we continue to disciple him, that he will realize that he's living differently and he'll want to be baptized at a very young age. And I know some of you worry about that. I don't want it to be traditional or, or religious, but Jesus said, let the little kids come to me. And, and you know, if at 17 he wants to be baptized again because he's starting to understand and at 25 and 35 and 78... Heck, we'll baptize you all every week, and then we'll put a sign out front and tell how many baptisms we have. I mean, I'm not going to lie, but we're going to take advantage of the numbers anytime we can. But you know what I'm saying? I, we, so let me just start by saying what a wonderful thing it is you were saved at a young age. But God wants to show us so much more about himself as we grow. Um, more on that in a moment. But to think that he, even before we accepted it, he had paid for our adoption. Whether you're saved or not, your sins have been paid for. But just like adoption, you got to agree to it. You have to accept it. It's a gift. And if you have never accepted that gift, boy, what a, what a place to start. What are you waiting for? It is not well with your souls. I, the, a common conversation, for those of you who don't go to church or don't have a lot of friends that are believers, a common conversation among believers is, I don't know what I would do without, without Christ and the body of Christ. I, I don't know what I'd do. Because we, we not only are supported and loved by God, we support each other. And, and we, we want you to join us in the family of God, knowing that it is a come forward, young man. Come, come forward, all the way up. I'm just kidding. No, would you go sit down? Don't do it. Just sit down. I'm, when a preacher says something like that, you don't have to say anything. Just look humble and say, 
We have the same problem in staff meeting, just so you know. It's just, it's just quite remarkable that God already paid the price for your sin. What are you waiting for? Why would you ever want to pay for your sin on your own? I don't understand that. So please, we beg of you, accept his offer. Well, how do, how do I do that? It's not by joining a church or even walking an aisle right where you're at. You can say, Lord, I know I'm, I know I'm a sinner, and I know you're the only one who can save me. And, and all who call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can be saved and adopted. For those of us who have accepted this precious, incredible offer that God has made to us as his kids, We've got to come to the fact, and this is somehow a struggle, and I think Satan is using our doctrinal debates to make it a struggle. You'll, you'll understand what I'm saying in a second. But we have to come to terms with the fact that salvation isn't really just about heaven and hell, which is our obsession. It's not just about not being condemned or not being judged. And that's really what we talk about a lot in the body of Christ in this culture. You don't want to go to hell, do you? And then once somebody prays a prayer or or responds to the gospel, we're so excited. It's like, okay, come to church. See you next Sunday. But the truth is that's such a small piece of it. God's plan was to adopt us and bring us into his family. But there was so much more. And Ephesians 2.10, and I'm going to start in verse 8, but I I keep throwing this out because I, I feel like we're pushing a rock up a hill against Western Christianity that only talks about heaven and hell. But there was other purposes for it. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't even take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. We're actually God's masterpiece. So stop, pause, because I know we all go immediately to, I must be special, I must be beautiful. The only reason you're special and beautiful in spiritual terms is because God's work. Seriously, that's what the masterpiece is. That doesn't mean, we've somehow turned it about to, I may not be pretty to the world, but I'm pretty to God. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that at the moment of salvation, God retooled you by the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead and empowered him to do amazingly miracle things. That same Holy Spirit, you are now the masterpiece of God's work. You are his masterpiece. He created us anew uh, in Christ Jesus. So at the moment of salvation, we were created anew. Why? So that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, too often we kind of go, okay, I'm saved. Woo, I don't have to worry about that anymore. But the reality is you were saved not just from something, but into something. You were, you were saved and born into a new life. That's why Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross, put your selfish ambitions aside, and follow me. God saved us by his power and, by, and used that same power to retool us so that we can do things he planned for us to do. And it's not us, it's you. You and your world. In, in whatever good or bad circumstances you may find yourself in, difficult or not. Gina, we all mourn Richard's death. But God wasn't sleeping that week or month. And I'm sorry to pick on you. I didn't even ask permission, but you're wearing pink and you're right there. You look lovely. So glad to see you here. But Gina, you could say, had a really lousy couple of years. But then again, when you look at it from God's perspective, God wasn't sleeping when Richard went home and left Gina here. 
He has a plan for Gina. Jason, I, I respect and love you so much and you're working through things and I'm watching God transform you. Not an easy life. And, and Barbara and Jim, you've been faithful. I know, it's like, don't pick on me. You're going to have to crawl under the seat if you don't want me to pick on you. But you. You guys know what I'm talking about. No matter how great your life is, how difficult your life is, God has a plan. And he didn't go, oh, no, I didn't, I didn't know that you were going to die of cancer. Oops, now I'm going to have to pick somebody else up. It's not that way. What does it say? Proverbs says that we may set our path, but God sets our steps. And they're not always great steps for our life here. I'm sorry, but Jesus said that. Heaven is going to be perpetually amazing. Every moment of every day under God's reign in the kingdom of God where there's no sin and no money and no worries and socialism works, society taking care of each other under the... It's not socialism, just relax. It's a theocracy where God provides, empowers, directs. There's no light in heaven. Do you know Scripture says that? He is the light of heaven. Well, I need more than one light bulb in my apartment. What if I close and lock the doors? It's a crystal city. It's weird. Don't change your clothes in your house. I mean, we, we've got to realize that all things, Scripture says, don't only, aren't only kept alive in God, but everything comes from Him. And right now, while we're stuck in this life and we look at stuff going on around us, we go, oh, how can people act like that? And how can they do that? It's because we are exiles. We have truly, you can feel this in your soul. You have been born into a new family, in a new kingdom. And, and as days go into months and months go into years, and the Holy Spirit begins to transform your thinking, you start thinking differently than the world. And, and the thing is, you don't even know it's happening. I had a German shepherd as a boy, and that German shepherd was awesome. But when it started to grow, it had the biggest claws, but it was still that big. And it was so fluffy, I wanted him to jump on me. I called him Spunky. That's, that's, I know it's a dumb name for a German Shepherd. It's not very terrorizing. But, but he would jump in my lap. The problem was, a year later, when he was 1,200 pounds, he still wanted to jump in my lap. He didn't know how big he'd got. And I want to say that I don't think most Christians know how, how much their thinking has changed. And so we look at the world and we go, what is wrong with this world? And the answer is nothing. They're exactly what Scripture told us they would be, which is why we're going to study Romans this next year. Why? Because Romans tells us the difference between the world and the saved. And then it basically asks the question, so why is the church acting like the world? It's very, very intense. But it's a wonderful thing. But we're changing, and so you look at the world and you get frustrated. But instead of just getting angry, you should step back and go, oh, that's right, he left me here in this wacko place so that I could serve him. Um, Peter is likely in prison when he, when he wrote this, and he wants his readers to know what is about, that what is about to happen to him, no matter what. He doesn't know for sure if he's going to die, but he believes he's going to die. But he wants them to know he's okay with it. He's okay with it because as he starts this letter, he is the slave of God. I, I'm, I'm at his disposal. I am his property. I want that. And he, and he calls him, not just, I'm not just his preacher. He says, I'm an apostle, but I'm also the slave of God. And so Peter, who may die, and he does die a year after writing this, we believe. Peter's like, I'm okay with that. He's writing to believers who are now being persecuted. 
when, this is about three or four years after the first letter, 1 Peter. Uh, in that letter, they were not, uh, Rome was not uh, governmentally persecuting the church at this time, uh, but they were afraid it was coming, and they were right. It's now three-ish years later, and now it's happening. Nero is in full-blown evil mode, and he's feeding Christians to predatory animals in Colosseums, as well as others, criminals and all. Uh, they are taking believers and dipping them in hot wax, and he's lighting them on fire alive, so they'll run around his garden while they're screaming and light up, and, and, and his, fan, his friends actually like that. It's evil. It's, it's a worse evil than you and I can even imagine today. And Peter, in his first letter, wants them to be encouraged because, and put their wealth and their hope not in this life and a government, but to put it in God. In the second letter, he encourages them. Uh, it's right before his death, and it is as if, as if Peter is saying, I know you depend on me a lot, but motivation for me is not really what will keep you faithful. And he writes the first four verses. We're three weeks into this letter, and we've gotten through three and a half verses. That's how quickly we're moving. I know some of you want me to slow down, but it's okay. And this is what he writes. I am writing to you who share this precious faith we have. So he's writing to believers. So if you're not a believer, the things in this don't apply to you. You should become a believer. That's the only thing you should worry about. What is my relationship with God? But this is to believers. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. So pause. How am I going to... What is his prayer? May you grow in more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God. So again, we live in a culture, and this is what we've been talking about. We live in a culture that says don't let doctrine divide. Doctrine is a, is a summary word for things that we know about God or things that we know about truth. It's not a Christian word. A, a cults have doctrines, but we live in a time where Christians are going, don't let doctrine divide. Well, doctrine does divide. We just have to separate what are non-negotiable doctrines and what are negotiable doctrines. For instance, the Trinity is non-negotiable. Salvation through faith in Christ alone, not negotiable. Tongues, negotiable. It's not clear in Scripture. It's, it, we need to let that go. Uh, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. You get the right to live through the tribulation, and we get to heaven. I said, you should have just believed with us, and you could have gone home with us. I mean, it's just, I'm kidding, of course. But, but there are non-negotiables that we shouldn't separate over. And then again, there are things that we should never. For instance, we are not God. We are not little gods. We are not like God. We are the children of God, inhabited by the Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, and we are becoming more God-like, godly. That's all. The longer we live. And he is saying, as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, we pray that, that, that you will receive more grace and peace. By his divine power. And this is where it gets really cool. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And pause here for a second. So what has he given me? Well, first of all, he told the disciples that I have to go ascend into heaven so that I can send somebody who will be more powerful in your life. And you're going to actually do greater things than I've ever done. And I want to give you an example of that. While Jesus raised the dead, Lazarus, and Jesus made the sick well, the disciples led 3,000 people to Christ on the first day of their ministry. Jesus never had a day like that. Well, I know that's weird. Are you saying that the disciples are more effective than Jesus? No, I'm saying the Holy Spirit working through them, the third member of the Trinity, is more powerful in the lives of others and why, and, than Jesus was. And why can I say that? Because Jesus said that. 
I'm not talking about saving. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity and participated in your salvation. Jesus paid for it, the second member of the Trinity. So while that has affected all of us, the truth is it's not Jesus, according to the Scriptures, that transform you. It is the Holy Spirit, the same one that rose Jesus from the dead. Did I just throw you all off? Pastor, the Trinity, they're one, but they're three. Yes, they are, both of those things. So will you explain it to me? Not on your life. I can't do it. I don't understand it. And I think that the ice doesn't work and the Father doesn't work. It just is what it is. We're taught in Scripture. And so we trust it. But we have everything we need to live a God-like life, godly. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. So we did that at salvation. And the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Real quick, what are His promises? I'll get into some of them in a moment, but we've been talking about these since Galatians. The reason God is going to save you and I stand with you right now knowing today more than when I was six, I don't deserve to be saved. I am telling you as your friend and your pastor, if anybody in this room deserves to still be thrown into hell, it's Mark Wilkie. Why? Because I'm constantly taking this for granted and choosing my own way. I I know that that doesn't impress you. Uh, Some of you are going to go, he's such a humble man. I just love Mark. You don't understand. I'm not being humble. I'm being honest. I still want to serve my flesh. I'm still selfish. And I look at God and I go, why would you save me? And I hear him whisper, because it brought me pleasure. Have you not read Ephesians 1? So my salvation brought him pleasure. He is the one who initiated my salvation. He is the one through the Holy Spirit that has sealed me into salvation. He is the one who sent his only begotten son to even save me and adopt me into the first place. This is all an act of God. And he's saying here that these promises he's made, the reason that I can have confidence in my salvation is not because of my behavior, but actually because God promised to. And if God doesn't keep his promises, he is a, what's the word? Liar. He's not holy. He's not transcendent. And he's completely dependent upon us. So he's not God. And I'm going to take a little shot at the health and wealth doctrine today, the prosperity gospel. If you can figure out how to pray to change God's mind, then he's not God. You are. You just haven't figured out how God-like you can be. That's the problem with modern theology. If you just pray the blood of Christ over this, God will have to do it. If God has to do anything because you found the magic words, he's not God, you are. If he's God, he's got a plan. And that plan intrinsically is for the best, whether I feel it, experience it or not. I will one day experience it, but the question of the child of God is, do I trust him? Are you with me so far? You ha- I, I really need you with me because today's message, as we get into the text, I know you're like, <laughs> uh, you haven't started preaching yet? <laughs> it's, really, it's really important you understand that I am not saying this morning, when we get into this text, you are saved by works. So you need to pay attention. You need to wrestle with this, and you can write me at jeff at cwbeast.org anytime you want. I want to show you something. Will you put my beautiful picture on the screen, please? Okay. This is Mark Wilkie at 20 years of age. Don't you know it. Was that you that just whistled? You're doing it again. Man. 20 years old. My wedding day. And an hour after that picture is taken, 
See that mustache? I look a little bit like Mark Dubos, don't I? We got the same mustache, dude. I was 20 years old. I had graduated. Just leave it up there for a few minutes so they can laugh at that. I had just graduated from Moody Bible Institute three months earlier. I had started in a ministry in Wisconsin 10 hours from where Julie's family was, and an hour after this picture taken, I'm going to make vows like, I will love you for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in good and bad. I love you so much. I feel my love. Millions of people, Julie, have been married, but nobody, nobody meant it as much as I do. Look how white I am. <laughs> For those of you who are married, you kind of know where I'm going with this. I felt deep things for Julie, and I loved Julie with a little L. And I looked forward to doing ministry with her and waking up with her every day. But I didn't know who Julie was. I mean, I know the girl I dated, and she didn't know me. I mean... I didn't even know really what love was. You see, for those of you who aren't married yet or who haven't been married over six weeks, something happens. It's a good something. But, but you don't wake up every day going, today's our wedding day. No matter how many Hallmark movies you watch, it ain't like that. We are going to celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary this summer. Yeah, it's the first time I remember the actual date. I can't, I can't get over that. I, I didn't realize I'm only 55. I'm not old yet. She's 56. I turned 56 in November. I'm still young, older woman. <laughs> I'd like to apologize for that last comment. I got a look from my wife that says it didn't come across the way I meant it, so forgive me. The, the truth is, this marriage thing, no matter what they say today, isn't about me feeling good. It's about having a life partner that I can raise kids with and maybe lose a kid with. And maybe, you know, <clears throat> I, I'm kind of a, as you can tell, I, I'm, I protect my, my feelings. I am a pain averse. And so I protect my feelings from trying to look at too much honesty. And I remember when we were going on our honeymoon, which was one night in a hotel in Madison, Wisconsin, because I was starting ministry the next day. But I remember, I remember saying to her, you know, the only thing, so did you like the day? You know how you, after the wedding, I love the day. It was such a good wedding, and it's what we could afford, and how precious was that? And I was still working over because I, I did, did you smash food in my face or did I smash cake in yours? My brother paid you 10 bucks to smash it in my face. So I've been abused since we started. You think Johnny Depp has it wrong. Was that inappropriate too? I should have thought about that again before I said it. But, but the, tr the truth is, as we're driving away, you know, and you remember, you did, you remember your wedding day? And even if you've been married a couple times or you're in a divorce, remember how special that day was? And we're holding hands in my little um, Ford Escort, Plymouth Arrow. It was a dumb car. But we're, we're holding hands, and I said, the only thing I don't like about today is it's going to end in tragedy. One of us is going to die. And the truth is, that is how life kind of is, you know? It's just, but you know, there's so much that I've learned about this woman. And that, that guy right there who was so excited to see his, his wife, his, his fiance for the first time in her white wedding dress. My gosh, you guys, we had to pull the money together. We were just, I think, our, I think when we started ministry, we were making $1,000 a month. I, I think we had $6 extra a week to go to McDonald's with. And that's if I didn't eat. I mean, 
we, had to, we went to a JCPenney outlet to buy your wedding dress, right? And I think we went to Kmart to buy your wedding ring? Something like that? Oh, I know, I was cheap. <laughs> so some of this is true, some of it's not. You can pick it. Uh, but, but I remember, I, had, I never saw her in the dress. I never saw her in the dress before we got married. And, and I was so excited to see her in that dress. And that's what I was excited about, us starting life together. Oh, here we go. And I got to tell you, looking back on 35 years, we've actually been dating for 38 and that's why I get confused with the numbers, because I just count it all. I'm, I, being 55, no, I don't really remember life before Julie. I just don't. I, and, and truthfully, we don't wake up very many days where it's like, oh, I married you. Look at you. I mean, I look in the mirror. I, look, look how handsome that guy is. Do you know, Julie thought I was Mexican when we met. Because I grew up in San Diego, this is true, because I grew up in San Diego and I spent so much time at the beach, I was very brown. I, in Chicago, it snows a lot and there's lots of clouds. I became white, like really white. But she got to know that it wasn't the skin color she married, it was the person inside. And over the years, we've had great times. And I'm not going to lie, we've had difficult times. She's an imperfect person. But just teasing, I'm an imperfect person. But the truth is, and, and actually, over the past few years, and we've talked about this, as the kids have gotten older, and now we're kicking Annie out of the house, she's going to move to Dallas in a couple months, but as we do all that stuff, what's really amazing is she's changing from mom to she's, she's kind of managing an office for my, fam, for my family in California, a medical office, and she's leading more women's Bible studies, and she's working at Seasons of Hope. And all of a sudden, this girl who was always kind of here is now taking a forefront and doing a phenomenal job. And I'm going, wow, that was in there all along, and I didn't know it. And if you're married more than six months, you know what I'm talking about. The problem is that as things change, though, it affects how she feeds my pride, right? And I have to decide... If her getting better and being used by God in bigger ways is better, or her continuing just to make me feel good about myself, and God has been showing me that what I thought I needed and what I thought I wanted isn't true, he knew all along, and that's why he gave me her, and that guy had no clue what he was marrying. i got to tell you something. Those of you who are just young married, it actually is about what you don't know as much about what you do. And it is with God. It really is. This is a real relationship. And the truth is, as I go through this text, I don't think we talk about what that means. We say this isn't a religion, a relationship. And what that means is it's personal and God loves you that much. And that's good. But I think our obsession over heaven and hell has kept us from really understanding that there's a God who is relational, a trinity who actually wants a relationship with us. The Father used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, in the cool of the garden. Do you remember that? And he actually comes looking for them after they sin. Adam, Eve, where are you? We're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. Who told you you're naked? 
I mean, God has this conversation with them. Then you've got Jesus who actually put himself here for 33 years to hang out with us. A silly little people, knowing us, creating us from the dust of the ground. And he spends time with us. Why? He wanted us to understand who he really was. So he didn't just come down and pay for our sin so that we wouldn't be condemned. He actually hung out and we got to know him. And then they send the Holy Spirit. So the Father is in the throne and the, Jesus is the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And I think that Satan, since he knows he's lost our souls, now wants us not to know capital K-N-O-W, God. I believe that the reason most people end up divorced after 35 years of marriage, or 25, that's when most people get divorced. Did you know that? They've decided around that time, most, uh, most children are out of the house, and mom and dad decide, wow, we don't know each other anymore. And instead of getting to K-N-O-W each other, they know each other. N-O. Bye. I'm still young. I can find somebody that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with that makes me feel good about myself. That's where we are in our culture. And i got to argue, I think that's where we are a lot of times in the church. Because I have come to tell you, and I'm telling you as an example, the truth is Julie's heart has always been pure. My heart is less pure. But I will tell you something. As I have humbled myself and gotten to know her, I married ten times the woman I thought I was marrying on that day. She is my favorite theologian even better than Tim Keller. She's amazing. Her thought processes, how it affects people, her understanding of people. She teaches me all the time. And so I can't get enough. I can't get enough of listening to her. She reads books and she thinks and she shares with me. And yes, that's a turn on because she loves God more than me. I don't want to spend too much time off because my point is being made that I want to get to in this text. And that is, I remember the day and I don't remember how long we had been married, but I remember the day in Ohio that Julie looked at me and said, you know what? I don't mean this in a dark, weird way, but for the first time in my life, I'm no longer dependent on you to be. So when the Lord, if the Lord takes you home before me, I'm going to be okay. And the Julie I married was dependent on me because a father had abandoned her. All those things. I was the perfect guy, but there came a point where she realized that that's an imperfect guy, and now she had to trust the Lord. And the same thing happens the more you get to know God. You will never celebrate your death of your spouse, but you will celebrate the goodness of God. If you lose an infant, you will never celebrate the hole in your heart, but you will celebrate how God uses it in your life and others. You will never celebrate the cancer. But it is amazing when a doctor looks at you and says, how, how did you do this? You see, that's our path. And your path looks different than mine. But we've got to get to know God better and His promises and how faithful He is in order to have joy and peace in this journey. Not, not know like go to church every week, but personally walk with Him. Know Him just like I've gotten to know Julie. You know, Julie's mom is awesome. She's strong. She's strong. She's really strong. Her husband abandoned her. Came back a few years later after he'd married somebody else. Married her again and left within a few months having stolen all the money. So her mom is strong. Her mom was one of the first to work at a wood plant in this little town in Ohio. And she endured, you think you, ladies, you think your sexual abuse, she faced it every day. But what was she going to do, quit? She was trying to feed her girls. The three girls had to raise each other. You know what? She's an amazing lady. 
and she could tell me everything I ever wanted to know about her daughter, but I did not move in with my mother-in-law when we got married. Why? Because I wanted to know her, not what her mother thought of her. As great a woman as she is, but a lot of you out here, you're so busy reading other children of God tell you what they learned about God, you're not studying Him for yourself. And you wonder why you don't have peace and hope and joy in this world. I saw, I saw a sticker this week, and it's so right on point. If the world right now freaks you out, that's because you haven't read the Bible. It's true. I don't mean it to, to slam you, but the truth is the Scripture, especially Romans chapter 1, tells us exactly where we're at today. And we shouldn't get mad at the world. That's what the world does when they don't worship God. But to do that, you've got to get to know God. And this is not just in 2 Peter. It's all over the Scripture. Look at Romans 12, 2, verse I always share with you. Don't copy the behavior or customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's then that you will learn to know God's will for you, which is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In other words, the world is going to teach you three steps to success. That's not how you learn spiritual success. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. There are not five steps to disciplined life. There is one, know God. And as you get to know God, He begins to transform the way you think and therefore transform the way you behave. And it is when you begin to get transformed that you begin to learn and know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Dear God, what is, uh, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? How should I treat my gay cousin? I'm waiting. I'm still waiting. I don't know how to treat him because God didn't answer. Yes, he did. You've got to get to know God. How did God treat a tax collector? That's the answer. There are no three steps in Scripture to anything. There's one, two. Get saved. Get to know your Savior. Like I got to know Julie. I understand her after 35 years. What frustrates her and why? And that works for me when I'm being a jerk, and it works against me when I'm being humble. I shouldn't have said that. It set her off. And I'm sorry, honey, I didn't tell you I was going to use you this much this morning, and I know you hate that. But the truth is, you're an amazing wife. I'm lucky to have you. And I'm lucky you've stayed. I mean it. I mean it. We're in this together. You could ask Jeff and Alicia. Of course, Alicia works here, but you can ask, you know, Amber and Adam. If your spouse isn't called to ministry, you should not be in ministry. And the problem is most of the spouse's job is to keep us in line. It really is. Because there's a reason we like to be up front. It's, you know, there's, and, and when everybody looks at you and goes, you're such a wonderful person. And, you know, your wife has a way of reminding you you're not as wonderful as everybody thinks, you know. <laughs> you could laugh at that. I mean, you don't live with me, although I am a wonderful person. The truth is, that's what we do. We're wondering why all these preachers aren't held accountable today. How is it that Ravi... Got so screwed up. He's one of ours. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just ignore me for a second. Well, what was he doing opening a spa in a mall in the first place? Where was his wife? I'm not blaming her for it. I'm simply saying at some point, we're accountable to each other. And it starts with this. But if we don't know each other, I can rationalize anything. And it's the same with God. You've got to know Him. He knows you, and He still loves you. But you've got to know him. 
Romans 12, uh, Hebrews 12, I, I shared this with you last week. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance this race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Wow. It's Jesus. James 2. Look, you are not saved by works, but salvation does work. The real thing does. Look what James says, and this makes logical sense. James chapter 2. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? I think that's a really good question. I think that's a really good question for about half the funerals in East Texas. Mark was a very Christian man. Well, where was he involved with? Well, he didn't go to church for 42 years. didn't like Christians. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, he didn't commit adultery on his wife, and he didn't kill anybody. Well, that just makes him moral. doesn't make him like Christ, right? It makes you Mormon. There's something different. If you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister. It's so good. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good will that do? So yes, you see, faith by itself really isn't enough. Unless it, what's that word? Produces. So think about this is where it's careful. The Greek word is very well translated, produces. It grows out. So it's not, this is, you do not act and then faith comes from your works. It is, uh, your faith develops works. It produces good deeds. It's dead. And you know what dead is? Useless. Now someone may argue some people have faith, others have good uh, uh, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. This next line we should just remove from Scripture. Unless it's true. Good for you. Even the demons believe that. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Wow. James isn't telling us to work harder to be saved. He's saying that if you're truly saved, there's going to be a life change. He is saying that if we aren't a changed person because of our faith, because of what God is doing within us, then what good is that faith we claim to be life transformative? He goes on in the next verses. He actually asked, if you have faith, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, good for you. So does Lucifer. He was there. But he's not changed by it. Somebody in this room is thinking, well, we haven't gotten to 2 Peter yet. So we will right now, 2 Peter 1.5a. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Peter wants his readers to respond to what God has done for them. So in other words, they're freaked out, they're watching family members die, and he goes, here's what you got to do. Be, make every effort to respond to God's promises. He wants them to respond to what God has done for them and the promises He's made to them. What promises? The promise of salvation. Not just having been saved, but you are being saved and you will be saved. Our promise in dwelling of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do all that we need to do in this life, to accomplish our task. He promised to have everything we need to live a godly life. And how should we respond to God's promises? Verse 5, the second half. Supplement your faith. That's salt on a really good meal. 
If you meet a real chef, I mean one of those guys that charged $7 billion for a dinner, if you're eating dinner with a chef who made you a $7 billion dinner and the first thing you do is grab the salt, they will be offended. Why? Because they don't want you to supplement anything to their work. Try it first, and if you need salt, to my advice, don't use salt. It'll make them mad. And they're grumpy anyway. Have you seen the guy from England? Hell's Kitchen? What's his name? Gordon Ramsay's a grumpy guy. You don't want to add salt to his food. But to your faith, you want to. Supplement your faith. Now listen to what he lists. With a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. Supplement your faith. It's not, it's not your supplementing that saves you. It's the promises of God and what He's done and you accepting that that saves you. But our response to that, that unbelievable, overwhelming, it is well with my soul song that we sang, there's a response to it. With every ounce of energy that we muster, while not being saved by works, once we are saved, we have to understand, and I think the church has overwhelmed it with just talking about salvation being from hell. It's not. It's from captivity to sin and its consequences. Since we've been freed from that, now God wants us to go out and live. And yes, the Holy Spirit is transforming us, but while the transforming process is going on, He's telling us to supplement it with some things. The first one is morality. Be moral. Add to morality getting to know God. As you get to know God, be self-controlled. As you live your self-control, be patient and endure this life's trials and persecutions and tribulations. And while you're patient on God's working, be like Jesus. Be godly. And while you seek to be like Jesus, love God's family. And while we're on the subject, love everybody else too. That's what he's talking about. Man, we could spend a ton of time talking about each of these individually, and I thought about it, but i got to be honest with you, you're not that stupid. You're just not idiots. I, I think sometimes pastors treat you like you're dumb. You know exactly what all these mean. Let me read it for you again. By God's divine power, 2 Peter 1, 3-7. By God's divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who has called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In other words, your, your eternity is secure. You don't have to worry about hell. Woo! It is well with my soul. But He's not done. In view of it being well with your soul, make every effort to respond to those promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Because of what God has done already and what He has promised to continue to do, and because we have everything we need and it is well for our, with our soul, because we're saved safe and secure, adopted into his family. We are now God's children. We should make every effort to respond to all that. And I don't think there's anybody in this room who wouldn't go, yeah, I probably should. I mean, it goes, the list is really good. 
But now there's an ugly question. I get tired. And to be truthful with you, I'm already saved. I'm heading for heaven. Based on God's promises, why do I need to change or be moral or even respond or season my faith with anything? Because frankly, I want to be happy. Since my sin is forgiven, why not sin a little bit more? I mean, my only concern is heaven anyway. And Paul knew you would ask. And so in 2 Peter 1.8, the very next verse, he said, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which takes us back to the big beginning I had of this message, that whole long section before I got to first Peter, Second Peter. You were not saved just to go to heaven. You were not left here just to buy time. You were not here just to raise kids and just to make a lot of money and just to be a good American. You were left here to perform good works. You and I are here for a reason. And that reason isn't just to live. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do good things He planned for us long ago. And if we season our faith with those things, starting with moral, morality, the, then the more productive and useful we'll be in our knowledge of God. The more productive and useful we'll be. You were saved and retooled. And now God is saying, Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence and compassion and all the things he mentioned here. And I want to say this. I've been waiting this whole message to say this. When you ask the question, why then should I season my faith with these things? And the answer is so you can be productive. Let me ask you a question that's very rare, relevant to where we are right now in the evangelical church in this country. How serious is the world going to take a pastor who has a wife and a girlfriend? no matter how good their worship is. And yes, I'm talking about Hillsong. How, how, how many of us are going to go back and read Ravi Zacharias' books when we find out that he was accused of rape? I'm sorry, if you didn't know that, it's tragic. How serious are you going to take Jimmy Swagger when his answer is, well, I just took pictures? I mean, seriously. And then the world looks at us and kind of goes, well, they're no different than anybody else. How seriously is the world going to take us when we tell them off online as if we're a political action committee from the right or the left? How serious is the world going to take you if you have a wife or a husband and a boyfriend or girlfriend? How serious is the world going to take you in your mission when you're living with somebody outside of marriage? How serious is anybody going to take you when you're confronted with that sin and you get mad at the pastor? How serious are people going to take you? Frankly, it's dangerous for you. You see, the church is so busy today trying to bring the world in, it's almost like we're trying to send like them so they don't feel like we're judgmental. Well, I got news for them and you. You're not the judge. But Scripture clearly says that we are to season our faith, the thing that saved us, with these things. I want to remind you that the actual New Testament teaching isn't to avoid sin, it's to avoid the appearance of evil. Oh, I, don't, I didn't know that. Well, you do now. So when we talk about the fact that you're living some, with somebody of the opposite sex you're not married to, and you say to me, well, we're not having sex, my response shouldn't shock you when I say that's not the point. The point is that you're here on mission to be productive, and when you're living with somebody, A, nobody believes that you're not having sex, and even if it happens to be true, you need medication. And the third thing, the truth is, 
I know I'm shocking some of you this morning, but I'm trying to have an honest conversation. The fact is that if you claim to by faith be saved and to be part of God's team, you should act like God. Otherwise, what have you done? I'll tell you what you've done. You've bought an insurance policy. Okay, stop, Mark. Keep reading. Because Peter's not done. Verse 9, those who fail to develop this way, okay, uh uh-oh, those who don't season their faith, those who are just like, at least I'm saved, I walked the aisle when I was a little kid, those who live like that, who fail to develop in this way, are either short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, some of you may be thinking this morning, especially online, you may be wondering, so are you saying I'm not saved? This doesn't even answer that question, but it makes it one of the choices. Blind is not saved. You just think you're saved, but you're really blind. Short-sighted, when he talks about that, means that you don't understand the big picture at all, and we take responsibility for that. I take responsibility for the evangelical, the evangelists and pastors that have told you that the only concern of God for you is that you don't go to hell. I'm here to tell you that's not true. The reason that Jesus Christ came was so that his Father's will of your adoption could be done so that his Holy Spirit could come and seal you, and once that's done, he expects you to be about the family business. And anybody who tells you that you don't have to be about the family business has never read this letter. The only way to know if you're a child of God is by the fruit of the evidence of who's in your life. And if you're living like hell, that's your destiny. But I prayed the prayer when I was seven. Baptism, prayer, none of that saves you. Not even your voting. What saves you is the Holy Spirit come in and beginning the process of transformation. And if you can outpower His transforming power, I'm not saying we don't struggle with sin. I'm saying when you stop struggling with sin. If you're living with somebody in a sinful state and it doesn't bother you, you better revisit the cross. Because something's wrong. This is real, my friends. This is real. The Holy Spirit is real. God the Father is real. The Son is real. And it's transformative. And He's impacting. And somewhere along the line, we began to decide that we could live like the world and be saved. And that's not what this is saying. You're either blind or short-sighted, and short-sighted is you don't understand why you're here. Verse 10, 1 Peter 1.10, so dear brothers and sisters, all right, I'm about to make my point, work hard to prove that you really are among those who God has called and chosen. Prove. Prove to God? I have to prove it to God? It doesn't say that. It's talking about the world. Again, I ask you, how serious is the world going to take a man who claims to be a pastor who lives just like them? The answer is not very serious at all. You can't have a wife and a girlfriend and claim to be spiritually healthy. You can't steal from the government by not paying your over taxes and be spiritually healthy. Well, I don't believe in taxes. I got a lot of people coming through my office right now that don't think marijuana is an illegal drug either, but it's still illegal. Well, you don't get to choose what's right and wrong. You don't get to choose what's moral and not. You don't get to choose. What you get to do is realize that you've been purchased with a price. You don't own yourself anymore. And you should season the faith that saved you with being like Jesus. When he was overtaxed, he went fishing and found a coin in the fish's mouth. Try that. But you've got to pay your taxes. 
the, the truth is we've, we've rationalized everything away. And while I've been talking about the big things, uh, adultery and immorality, how about the little things like gossip or overeating, self-medicating? You know, at some point we have to decide that we're going to be Jesus' people, not our own people who happen to be followers of Jesus. One of the questions I grew up on, and as a youth pastor I used to ask this, is, you know, and even have an armband, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I think we should stop asking that dumb question. I don't know what he'd do. I don't know if he'd get rid of his iPhone. I don't know. But I know, do know what he did. Maybe I should stop looking for what he would do and start looking at what he did and trying to emulate that. Whether it's how I relate to the poor or the sinful or my wife. Well, Jesus didn't have a wife. Yeah, but he said that as the, he serves the church and loves the church even in her imperfection. I'm supposed to love Julie in her and serve her in her imperfection. Are you following me here? I mean, it's there, right? I mean, I, I hate over-speaking, although I love doing it. I, I shouldn't over-speak it because the truth is it's very clear. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Are you being moral? I thought I wasn't saved by being moral. I didn't say you were. But now that you're saved, be like Jesus. And moral excellence with knowledge. Not what other people say about Jesus or even what I say about Jesus. Are you spending time getting to know him? you got to get to know him. And knowledge with self-control. I know you're mad. If you're liberal, you're mad at the conservatives. If you're conservative, you're mad at the liberals. Have some self-control and don't say everything on your mind. You do not, I know it's shocking, have to post everything you think. Why are you laughing? I post things 12 times a day and delete them. But I want you to know I've never been wrong on any of those posts that I deleted. Who cares what I think? What I really need to tell them about is Jesus. He's their only hope. Self-control with patient endurance, waiting for Christ to come back, maybe in our lifetime. Patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Big finish. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Oh, I want to talk about that. I do think that to some degree, as we reach over the fence in worldliness, we live here in, in, in following Jesus, and we reach over the fence to keep the tool, toys that we like that the world offers, I do think that we want to be just as worldly as we're allowed to be while being faithful to God. I do think that. I think that we want to be just as invested, not overly invested in the world, but just we like the world. It's what we know. We like how it feels. Whether it's rage or frustration, what he is saying is, if you supplement your faith, you're not going to fall away. In other words, if you are more passionate for supplementing your faith with these things than you are for making sure that you can't lose your salvation as a doctrinal point of view, you won't have time to worry about it. This has happened. Never a carpenter's way because you're perfect. 
But in 40 about years of ministry, it is not uncommon for somebody to come in to let me know they're leaving their spouse. And in that conversation, they want to make sure that I think that they're, going to, they're not going to lose their salvation. So actually what they come in to do is not to ask my counsel on the marriage, but to actually make sure that you can't lose your salvation. You see, what they want is what they want, not what honors God. So stop doing what you want and honor God. And that's what this is all about, right? I mean, it's not complicated. You can forget everything I said. I know I just wasted 45 minutes of your life, but you can forget everything I said. You can read this this afternoon. It's still going to say the same thing. It's time for the church to rise up and not be better, but to be faithful. It is. It's time for us to prove to the world that we mean what we say. It is. It's time for us to quit excusing each other's sin and our own sin and just make sure that we're still saved, but instead actually live like we're saved. Why? Because God deserves it. He's earned the right to ask everything from me. And I know it's hard. Oh my goodness. I do this full time and it's hard. I have no idea how hard it's going to be for you, but I do know that you have been given everything you need from God to accomplish whatever he wants you to accomplish. So quit feeling sorry for yourself. We're almost home. Most of us aren't going to live another 60 years because we eat as East Texans. But, and the good news is when we get home, we will never, ever battle with this again. Until we do, strap it on, gird yourself up, and get back to work, you bunch of babies. Seriously. Disney is not a Christian organization. They're acting like they're not Christian. Hollywood is not a Christian organization. They're acting like it. Washington, D.C. is full of... <sighs> Serenity now. Just follow Jesus. You and I are exiles here. We are exiles. We need to believe that and have hope and joy and peace. Connie, you're laughing. I don't know what you're laughing at. Did I say something wrong? Seinfeld, yeah. <laughs> that, that is Seinfeld, yeah. Let's close in prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us be what you want us to be, what you saved us to be. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy, and thank you that you don't give up on us. But Lord, don't let us be satisfied with just half-hearted Christianity. May we be fully in. May we be people of morality and joy and hope. May we season our faith with that. When we see somebody hungry, may we find ways that feed them in healthy ways. It's not just about giving money or clothes. It's about helping them. May we love the wicked and the sinful like you loved us while we were wicked and sinful. Give us wisdom in, in the difference between endorsing a lifestyle but not rejecting souls that need Jesus. Lord, for me as a pastor, I pray that the same guy that preaches lives out there in the streets of East Texas. Don't let me be a double-sided man. I don't want that. I want to be your guy. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that together, whether it be in our marriages, in our parenting, in our church, and in our community, that people would look at us and say, that is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. We love you. Now let us see you in ways we've never seen you before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe the Lord has been speaking to you this morning. There's communion over here. If you'd like to take a moment between you and God, I'd love to pray with you. I'll be here. My auntie's going to be at the table if you have questions about Carpenter's Way. Bible study will start in about five minutes. God bless you.